Crime wave at Blandings 4. You, you didn't see me, he quavered. I certainly did see you, said Jane. I was an interested eyewitness of the whole thing from start to finish. Lord Emsworth tottered to a chair and sank into it, staring glassily at his niece. I had a front row seat to the entire performance, proceeded Jane. When I left you, I went to the shrubbery to cry my eyes out because of your frightful cruelty and inhumanity. And while I was crying my eyes out, I suddenly saw you creep in the window of the library with a hideous look of low cunning on your face and young George's air gun in your hand. "'and I was just wondering if I could find a stone and bung it at you, "'because it seemed to me that something along those lines "'was what you had been asking for from the start. "'When you raised the gun and I saw that you were taking aim, "'the next moment there was a shot, a cry, "'and Baxter welting in his blood on the terrace. "'And as I stood there, I thought floating into my mind, "'it was... "'What will Aunt Constance have to say about this when I tell her?' "'Lord Emsworth emitted a low gargling sound, "'like the death-rattle of that dying duck "'to which his sister had compared him. "'You... you aren't going to tell her. "'Why not?' "'An ague-like convulsion shook Lord Emsworth. "'I implore you not to tell her, my dear. "'You know what she's like.' I should never hear the end of it. She would give you the dickens, wouldn't she? I do think so. So do I. And you thoroughly deserve it, my dear. Well, don't you? Look at the way you've been behaving, working like the beaver to ruin my life's happiness. I don't want to ruin your life's happiness. You don't? "'Then sit down at the desk and dash off a short letter to George, giving him that job. "'But—' "'What did you say?' "'I only said, but—' "'Don't say it again. "'What I want from you, Uncle Clarence, is prompt and cheerful service. "'Are you ready? "'Dear Mr. Abercrombie—' "'I don't know how to spell it,' said Lord Emsworth, "'with the air of a man who has found a way out satisfactory to all parties.' I'll attend to the spelling. A B Ab E R E C R O M Crum B I E B. The whole constituting the word Abercrombie. Which is the name of the man I love? Got it? Yes, said Lord Emsworth. I've got it. Then carry on. Dear Mr. Abercrombie, Pursuant, one P. Two U's, spread em about a bit, an R, an S, an Ant, pursuant, on our recent conversation. But I've never spoken to the man in my life. It doesn't matter. It's just a form. Pursuant on that recurrent conversation, I have much pleasure in offering you the post of land agent at Blandings Castle, and shall be glad if you will take up your duties immediately. Yours faithfully, Emsworth, E-M-S-W-O-R-T-H. June took the letter, pressed it lovingly to her blotted pad, and placed it in the recesses of her costume. Fine, she said, that's that. 
"'Thanks most awfully, Uncle Clarence. "'This has squared you nicely for your recent foul behavior "'in trying to ruin my life's happiness. "'You made a rocky start, but you've come through magnificently at the finish.' "'Kissing him affectionately, she passed from the room, "'and Lord Emsworth slumped in his chair.' tried not to look at the vision of his sister Constance, which has risen before his eyes. What Connie was going to say when she learned that in defiance of her direct commands he had given this young man. He mused on Lady Constance and wondered if there were any other men in the world so sister-packed as he. It was weak of him, he knew, to curl up in an apologetic ball when assailed by a mere sister. Most men reserve such craven conduct for their wives, but it had been always so. Right back to those boyhood days, which she remembered so well, and too late to alter it now, he supposed. The only consolation he was able to enjoy in this dark hour was the reflection that, though things were bad, they were unquestionably less bad than they might have been. At the least, his fearful secret was safe. That rash moment of recovered boyhood would never now be brought up against him. Connie would never know whose hand it was that had pulled the fatal trigger. She might suspect, but she could never know. Nor could Baxter ever know. Baxter would grow into an old white-haired man, spectacled phantom-like. Always this thing would remain an insoluble mystery to him. Dashed lucky, felt Lord Emsworth, that the fellow had not been listening at the door during the recent conversation. It was at this moment that a sound behind him caused him to turn, and having turned, to spring from his chair with a convulsive leap that nearly injured him internally. Over the still of the open window, like those of corpses emerging from the tomb to confront its murderer, the head and shoulders of Rupert Baxter were slowly rising. The evening sun fell upon his spectacles, and they seemed to Lord Emsworth to gleam like the eyes of a dragon. Rupert Baxter had not been listening at the door. There had been no necessity for him to do so. Immediately outside the writing-room at Blanding's castle there stands a rustic garden seat, and on this he had been sitting from beginning to end of the interview, which has just been recorded. If he had been actually in the room, he might have heard a little better, but not much. When two men stand face to face, one of whom has recently shot the other with an air-gun, and the second of whom had just discovered who it was that did it. It is rarely that conversation flows briskly from the start. One senses a certain awkwardness, what the French call gêne. In the first half-minute of this encounter, the only thing that happened in a vocal way was that Lord Emsworth cleared his throat immediately afterwards, becoming silent again. And it is possible that his silence might have prolonged itself for some considerable time had not Baxter made a movement as if about to withdraw. All this while he had been start staring at his former employer, his face an open book in which it was easy for the least discerning eye to read a number of discerning emotions. He now took a step backwards, and Lord Emsworth, 
aphasia left him. Baxter! There was an urgent appeal in the ninth earl's voice. It was not enough that he wanted Rupert Baxter to stop and talk to him, but he was most earnest desirous of detaining him now. He wished to soothe, to apologize, to explain. He was even prepared, should it be necessary, to offer the man his old post of private secretary as the price of his silence. "'Baxter, my dear fellow!' A high tenor voice raised almost to A in an alto by agony of soul as a compelling quality, which it is difficult even for a man in Rupert Baxter's mental condition to resist. Rupert Baxter had not intended to halt his backward movement, but he did so, and Lord Emsworth, reaching the window and thrusting his head out, was relieved to see that he was still within range of honeyed word. Uh, Baxter, he said, could you spare me a moment? The secretary's spectacles flashed coldly. You wish to speak to me, Lord Emsworth? That's exactly it, assented his lordship, as if he thought it a very happy way of putting the thing. Yes, uh, I wish to speak to you, he paused and cleared his throat again. <clears throat> uh, tell me, Baxter, tell me, my dear fellow, were you... Uh... Were you sitting on that seat just now? I was. Did you by any chance overhear my niece and myself talking? I did. Then I expect, I fancy, perhaps possibly, no doubt you were surprised at what you heard. I was astounded, said Rupert Baxter, who was not going to be fobbed off by any weak verbs at a moment like this. Lord Emsworth cleared his throat for the third time. <clears throat> I want to tell you all about that, he said. Oh, said Rupert Baxter. Yes, I uh, welcome this opportunity of telling you all about it, said Lord Emsworth, though with less pleasure in his voice than might have been expected from a man welcoming an opportunity of telling somebody all about something. I fancy that my niece's remarks may uh, possibly have misled you. Not at all. They may have put you on the wrong track. On the contrary. But if I remember correctly, she gave the impression by what she said. My niece gives the impression by what she said. Anybody overhearing what my niece said would have received the impression that I took deliberate aim at you with that gun. Precisely. She was quite mistaken, said Lord Emsworth warmly. She had got hold of the wrong end of the stick completely. Girls say such dash silly things. Cause a lot of trouble, upset people. They ought to be more careful. What actually happened, my dear fellow, was that I was glancing out the library window with the gun in my hand, and without knowing it, I must have placed my finger on the trigger, for suddenly, without the slightest warning, you could have knocked me down with a feather. And the dash thing went off, by accident. Indeed, purely by accident. I should not like you to think that I was aiming at you. Indeed. And I should not like to tell you, uh, anybody about the unfortunate occurrence in a way that would give her 
I mean them, the impression that I aimed at you. Indeed. Lord Emsworth could not persuade himself that this companion's manner was encouraging. He had a feeling that he was not making headway. That's how it was, he said after a pause. I see. A pure accident. Nobody more stupid than myself. I see. So did Lord Emsworth. He saw that time had come to play his last card. It was no moment for shrinking back and counting the cost. He must proceed to the last fearful extremity which he had been contemplating. Tell me, Baxter, he said, are you doing anything just now, Baxter? Yes, replied the other with no trace of hesitation. I am going to look for Lady Constance. A convulsive gulp prevented Lord Emsworth from speaking for an instant. I mean, he quivered when the spasm had spent itself. I gathered from my sister that you were at liberty at the moment, and you had left that fellow, what's his name, the American fellow, and I was hoping, my dear Baxter, said Lord Emsworth, speaking thickly, as if the words choked him, that I might be able to persuade you to take up, to resume, in fact, I was going to ask you if you would care to become my secretary again. He paused and reached for his handkerchief, feebly mopped his brow. The dreadful speech was out, and its emergence had left his feelings spent and weak. You were? cried Rupert Baxter. I was, said Lord Emsworth hollowly. A great change for the better had come over Rupert Baxter. It was as if those words had been a magic formula filling with sweetness and light, one who, until that moment, had been more like a spectacled thundercloud than anything human. He ceased to lower the darkly, his air of being on the point of shooting out forked lightning left him. He even went so far as to smile, and if the smile was a smile that made Lord Emsworth feel as if his vital organs were being churned up with an egg-whip. That was not his fault. He was trying to smile sunnily. Thank you, he said. I shall be delighted. Lord Emsworth did not speak. I was always happy at the castle. Lord Emsworth did not speak. Thank you very much, said Rupert Baxter. What a beautiful evening! He passed from view, and Lord Emsworth examined the evening, as Baxter had said it was beautiful, but it did not bring the balm which beautiful evenings usually brought to him. A blight seemed to hang over it. The setting sun shone bravely on the formal garden over which he looked, but it was the lengthening shadows rather than the sunshine that impressed themselves upon Lord Emsworth. His heart was bowed down with weight of woe. Oh, says the poet, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. And it was precisely the same. Lord Emsworth realized when first we practice to shoot air guns, just one careless offhand pop at a bending Baxter, and what a harvest, what a retribution. As a result of that single idle shot, he had been compelled to 
augment his personal staff with a land agent which would infuriate his sister Constance and a private secretary which would make his life once again the inferno it had been in old. Bad Baxter days. He could scarcely have got himself into more trouble if he had gone blazing away with a machine gun. It was with a slow and distraught shuffle that he eventually took himself from the writing-room and proceeded with his interrupted plan on going and sniffing his roses, and so pre preoccupied was his mood that Beach, his faithful butler, who came to him after he had been sniffing at them for perhaps half an hour, was obliged to speak twice before he could induce him to remove his nose from Gloria de Adieu. Ah, a note for you, my lord. A note? Ah, who from? Mr. Baxter, my lord. If Lord Imsworth had been less careworn, he might have noticed that the butler's voice had not its customary fruity ring. It had a dullness, a lack of tone. It was the voice of a butler who had lost the bluebird, but being in the depths of so, in no frame of mind, to analyze the voice production of butlers, he merely took the envelope from its salver and opened it listlessly, wondering what Baxter was sending his note about. The communication was so brief that he was unable to discover this at a glance. Lord Imsworth, after what has occurred, I must reconsider my decision to accept the post of secretary which you offered me. I am leaving the castle immediately. R. Baxter. Simply that, and nothing more. Lord Imsworth stared at the thing. It is not enough to say that he was bewildered. He was nonplussed. If Gloria de Ajou had which he had recently been sniffing, had snapped at his nose and bitten it off the tip, he could scarcely have been more taken aback. He could have nothing of this. As in a dream, he became aware that Beach was speaking. Huh? My month's notice, my lord. Your what? My month's notice, my lord. What about it? I was saying that I wish to give my month's notice, my lord. Left alone, Lord Emsworth faced the facts. He understood now what had happened. The note was no longer mystic. What it means was that for some reason his trump card he had played proved useless. He had thought to stop Baxter's mouth with bribes, and he had failed. The man had seemed to accept the olive branch, but later there must have been some sharp revulsion of feeling, causing him to change his mind. No doubt a sudden twinge of pain in the wounded area had brought the memory of his wrongs flooding back upon him, so that he found himself preferring vengeance to material prosperity. And now he was going to blow the gaff? Even now the whole facts in the case might have been placed before Lady Constance, and even now Lord Emsworth felt with a shiver Connie might be looking for him. The sight of a female form coming through the rose-bushes brought him the sharpest shudder of the day, and for an instant he stood pointing like a dog. But it was not his sister Constance, it was his niece Jane.' 